0: If you have your Bible, so let's turn to let's turn to the book of Jude. Uh, and let's turn to the first chapter of Jude. <laughs> that's always that's a funny joke. Uh, all right, let's turn to Jude and then let's uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. I'm glad Jude Silk is here. I was thinking about him the whole time I was preparing this, thinking, man, he really wants to be here for this. Uh, let's let's read, beginning in verse three. Okay, we're going to begin in verse 3. It was great that Zachary called us beloved, made me think of, of this verse as he, as he always does, but begin in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So we, we've been looking at our, our motivations in, in spiritual warfare as we're asking the Lord to deliver us from evil. And we're seeing uh, not only has he done that, but is uh, doing that. And, and one of our motivations we saw is that we need to please the one who enlisted us. So we looked at fearing the Lord. We looked at uh, loving God with all that we have. We looked at loving our neighbors as ourselves. Those motivations in life... Will be useful motivations in our spiritual fights, because all of life is spiritual warfare you're never you 're never not in the fight now you may not be in a fight all the time, but you 're never not in the fight uh, spiritual warfare again isn't isn 't something we we step into uh, it's the it's the reality for christians it 's something we are constantly a part of there's a, a, a spiritual war waging uh, around us at at all times. Uh, Sometimes it's more obvious than others, but the war is your reality. And we do well to remember that, the Bible tells us. It's one of the reasons uh, that Paul says we're always to be armored up. Uh, So we fight. We fight to please the one who enlisted us. That's one of our motivations. But there are other motivations as well when the Bible talks about fighting and things that should motivate us as Christians and as the church to fight. Other things that should spur us to fight, things that we fight for, motivations uh, to take up the sword. Uh, we fight for the one who enlisted us, and today we've got a new one that we'll look at, a motivation that we must have in spiritual warfare, that we must have, and that will move us to fight. Uh, we fight for the faith, and that's what we're going to look at today. We fight for the faith. We're going to look at the, the church militant, which is the church call, church's call to fight for for the faith. And we saw this in Jude. We saw this in Jude. That's what Jude is actually calling the people to. And, and I will have preached a great sermon if I never called Jude Paul. This whole sermon, it will be a, a great job uh, because I had to go through and edit my text over and over. I was like, as Paul says here, and I'm like, yeah, you can't just do that. Jude's probably very upset every time someone does that. Uh, but look at, let, let's let's see how we see this call in Jude, now he's calling us as soldiers of Christ in truth arrayed. That that our job as the church is to fight. But one of our motivations is we fight for the faith. Okay, so begin in verse three. Look, beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, so. Jude wanted, Jude wanted to write a flowery letter. He wanted to write a flowery letter about how, you know, how great it is to be saved. Be like, you know, to write this church and be like, man, isn't it great to be a Christian? Like that's what he wanted. That's what Jude wanted to write. He was eager, he says, to write that type of letter. The word there for eager are the words all speed. He wanted to do this with all speed, that, 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 uh, that we actually get our English word "speed" from the Greek word there, uh, "spedeo." That, that we, he wanted to write with that, with speed. And you can see the see the picture here of what he's wanting to do. He's he's eager to sit down and with all the speed he's got to whip out this letter about how great their shared salvation is. Uh, that word "common." Is a very interesting word. If you want to, we'll talk about that at lunch. If anyone's interested, we can talk about that word "common." There, uh, our common salvation. That's what Jude wanted to write about. Their shared, uh, their their common salvation. The thing they had together. This is going to be uh, if you if you ever heard of the word "koinonia." Uh, it's going to be similar to that in terms of common or or shared salvation. The things they they had together here. He was that's what he wanted to write about, and he was eager to write about. It. He wanted to write it with all speed. He wanted to use all of his speed to write that type of letter. But he. He couldn't. He couldn't. Instead, he found it necessary to write about something else. So a desire to write to them about how great it is to be saved, about how great their salvation is, to write to them about the wonders of the gospel. But something stopped him. Look at what it says. So although I wanted to write to you about this other thing, I found it necessary... To write appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He wanted to write to them about this other thing, but he needed to write to them, appealing to them, calling alongside. This is that, this is that word, uh, paraclete, or we get the word paraclete to describe the Holy Spirit. In John, we sometimes translate it helper. He needed to, he needed to help them see something. They needed to see something essential for them, something even more essential than just seeing their common salvation. He needed to help them see something more important than even contemplating their uniting salvation. So what was it? What was it that he needed, that he found necessary to write, that, that superseded even the desire to write a letter about how great their salvation was? What superseded that? He needed them to fight. Jude is appealing for them. I'm appealing to you to fight. That word contend there is the same word as fight. So when, when we get to, when Paul, there's Paul, but I can use it here. Uh, in 1 Timothy talks about fight the good fight. It's that same word, but it wouldn't be a would be as cool to say contend the good contention. Uh, and so I don't like contend here either. Fight. Uh, I want you to fight for the faith. I think that just sounds better too. To fight for faith. The faith, And that's what Jude, so Jude takes that word fight and he adds that prefix on the front of it, uh, the, a prefix for for or toward. He needs them to fight for something. I want you to fight for. Well, what, are, what is he appealing to them for to fight for? What do they need to fight for? What is their motivation for fighting? What is their motivation to step into this spiritual warfare and, and take up the sword and fight? What are they fighting for? He wants them to fight for the faith. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to fight for the faith. Now, faith and fighting being combined is not a surprising thing. It's combined a lot. Fighting for the faith, fighting with the faith. It's combined a lot in Scripture. So, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19, I char- This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So when it comes to, to Christian fighting uh, and Christians fighting the good fight of the faith, Christians are fighting for the faith. They're fighting on behalf of the faith, which actually makes sense when you read verses 3 and 4 here. When it, it makes sense when you think of what Jude wanted to do. What did Jude want to do? He, 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 he wanted to write to them about their salvation. Their salvation that comes through faith. But he, but he couldn't just pontificate on how wondrous their salvation is. Why? Because that salvation that he wanted to write about was under attack. He needs them not just to contemplate their faith as he wanted to write about. He needs them to fight for it. I mean, he wishes he could just talk about their common salvation. He wishes he could talk about their unifying faith, their one faith, one baptism. He wishes one Lord. He wishes he could do that, but he can't. He wishes he could do that and that'd be enough, but he's got to write more. This isn't the time, Jude is thinking, for talk or for mere meditation. This is a time for the church to fight. It is a time for the church to go to war. But this war, look, it's not chaotic. It's not, it's, he's not calling them to some sort of like nuclear nuclear bomb here. It's not scorched earth. It's the church going to war. He, he has a precise, intentional, and guided mission in the fight. In this fight. For the faith, it's going against a particular enemy, and that's what he, he brings up. Now, he knows their faith is being attacked, and so he plans his assault on where and how the faith is being attacked. Look at who he's calling them to fight. Verse 4. For certain people... So why is it necessary for him to write that? I want to write to you about how greater salvation is, but I couldn't write to you just about how greater salvation is. I have to write to you calling on you to fight. Not calling on you to think about how great our salvation is. Not calling you to to contemplate it alone, but calling on you to, to warrior. Why? Why did he have to do that? For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, which is really scary. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, of our God, into sensuality, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So who are the enemies? In Jude's case... The assault on the faith involved people who were perverting the grace of God. And they are perverting the grace of God uh, so that they could, uh, as using grace as a reason, actually a reason to commit sensuality, and 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 they were rejecting the authority of Christ over their lives. That's all in verse four. As you continue to look through Jude, you you see it there. You look down, he gives us more explanation of this. Well, because he's going to tell us in verse 7, this is going to involve both natural and unnatural sexual actions. Using the grace of God to to say those things are okay. But it also involved, you go down to verse 16, it also involved these people creeping in unnoticed. We're also using this to say, uh, to become grumblers and, and blamers. The word there is fault finders. Uh, Verse 19, they they, they came in as people who caused divisions. Jesus says, This is why we've got to fight. This is why you can't write you these things because people are coming in doing this. They're coming in perverting God's grace. They're coming in, calling on people to commit these natural and unnatural sexual acts. They're calling. They're 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 coming in and they're grumbling. They're coming in, complaining. They're coming. In, they're finding faults in everybody. They're coming in and they're causing divisions. So this is not a time just to contemplate our salvation. This is, these are not things Jude says that we can coddle or accept or placate or even ignore. Jude can't even ignore these things. Say, well, I'll just ignore this and write about how great the gospel is. And if we just write about how great the gospel is, that'll undo all those other things. Look, that is an approach that a lot of people take. To sin in the church. Just talk about how great the gospel is and it will stop people's sin. And Jude writes that and says, you have made that up. Because Jude says, I want to talk about how great the gospel is, but I had to tell you, now is the time to fight against people who do these things. It is a time for the church not to just meditate. It is a time for the church to become militant. They must fight against sin. And that's what Jude says they've got to do. In situations like this, you must go to war against those sins and against those people committing those sins. And of course, those are not the, that Jude mentions here, these are not the only assaults on the faith that, that necessitate a fight. The call of Jude is to fight for the faith. So whatever that assault may be, He's not just saying, hey, I want you to fight for the faith, but only when the faith is under attack in these specific ways. You know, if it's not these specific ways, you don't have to fight for the faith. Judah's dealing with these particular assaults that these people are dealing with. He's not going to talk about all attacks on the faith that are dealt with at all times because he's wanting to write to a specific people about how great their salvation is. But these specific people were in in a situation where they had a group attacking the faith. So instead of just contemplating the glory of the gospel, he has to deal with these enemies of the cross who are perverting the faith. He's saying this is this is how you deal with that. I mean, the the fighting has really, in Jude's case, the fighting has already started, but the fighting has started from their side. They're already fighting against the faith. It's it's the obligation of the church now to fight for the faith. They're waging war on the faith in their actions, and you need to see that when people do that, when people bring in perversions and when people bring in grumbling and complaining or cause divisions, they're not just doing those things. They are that is an attack. On the faith of Jesus Christ, and the church must meet it as such. It is not just personality problems. It is not just you know uh, inter uh, interpersonal issues. It is not just what they do in their own home uh, is their own business. No, it is an attack on the faith, and the church is commanded to commit war because they're already committing it. They have brought a war on the faith, and it's the an obligation of the church to meet that. In kind. Now again, notice, it's interesting, what is the faith, he says. So what is the faith? So we're called here, as soldiers, we're called to fight for the faith. But what is the faith that we're fighting for? I think this is very useful. Very useful here in Jude. Jude, Jude is a great book. Uh, is very useful here for understanding what the faith is. Look at what he says. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. And he notes two two specific aspects of that faith. And, the, and these are good because this then gives us two grounds for what Jude considers the faith. Because he says the, the faith is under attack. And it's under attack in these two ways. They're attacking these two parts that are essential parts of the faith. And what was one of those? One was the grace of God. So they're attacking the faith. So what are they attacking? He doesn't then say, here's how they're attacking the faith. He describes what they're attacking in the faith. And the first thing he mentions is God's grace. God's grace that they're attacking. So God's grace is a part of the faith, the grace of God. That he says they are perverting. So they're perverting the grace of God. But not only is the grace of God part of it, also part of the faith is the masterhood and lordship of Jesus Christ. Which he says they are denying They're denying that. So you get, I think that's really helpful because you get two parts of the faith, two central aspects to the gospel, to the faith, which is God's grace and our submission to Christ. God's grace and our submission to Christ. Both those things are under attack. So when the faith is under attack, it doesn't go into, you know, he doesn't say, and they're attacking Mary and her, you know, whatever. Uh, He says they're attacking God's grace and they're attacking our submission to Christ. Those who think they're, they're perverting this and they're denying this. So those are two things that Jude thinks are essential to the faith. And, and this is essential to the faith. Why? Not because Jude's made this up. It's essential to the faith. What? Because this is the faith that was delivered once for all to the saints. This is the faith that they've always received. So what's he talking about here? This is the faith found in the word of God. This is the one that has been delivered to them. This faith found in God's word. That's what they're perverting. So you've got the grace of God described in the word of God. You've got the the masterhood and lordship of Christ described in the word of God. This is what the faith has always been. It's the faith, not that the Jace came up with, not the faith that Jude came up with, not the faith that any of them came up with. It's what the word of God has said. That's what they're attacking. They're attacking the word of God. And and that becomes very clear when you look down in like verse 8. Because that's part of the problem. These enemies who were in the church, some of them might even have been pastors, it seems like, Instead of following the word of God, they were rejecting the word of God because they had dreams. Look at verse eight. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams. Defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So they defile the flesh, reject authority. That's the two things he talked about in the gospel. I wish he'd got more into blaspheming the glorious ones. That'd have been really cool. Uh, But he says that's what they're doing based on their dreams. Based on their, their ideas of what they would like to add to the word of God. So you had people who were perverting the faith by relying on dreams. Relying on dreams and like, hey, hey guys, you know, I know the word of God and nature tell you you shouldn't do these things, but I had a dream that said it was okay. Because he's going to talk about how they're even committing unnatural acts. So even nature is telling them you shouldn't do this, but they're like, but I had a dream it's okay, or, but I was, <laughs> but I'm the Pope, so it's okay, or, but I'm the whatever, so it's okay, I, I know, I had this insight, I had this dream, contrary to the word of God, and even contrary to nature, so everything from, from being grumpy to being gay, right, uh, I had a dream, uh, and that's fine, everything, everything from finding faults in others to finding fornication, those are fine, because I had these dreams, this perversion of the faith, that they had because of their dreams, was really an attack on the faith. And their attack was to be met with the church's attack. A faith attacked was a faith that was to be fought for. Soldiers fight for the faith. That is, I mean, the comma there is very important. That is both a command and a reality. One of our motivations in the fight that we are commanded to take up in the war against evil, in God's purpose in having the church to deliver from evil, is to fight for the faith. Okay, So when we're looking at our motivations, we saw that we are motivated to please the one who enlisted us. Here we see we are motivated to fight for, for the faith. That if you want to be uh, if you want to handle spiritual warfare well, if we want to handle spiritual warfare rightly as individuals and as churches, then we have to fight for the faith. When the faith of Jesus Christ, when his grace or his master or lordship is under attack, either rejected or denied, it is our obligation. We are commanded by Christ to take up action against those things. A good soldier aims to please the one who enlisted him. That's certainly one of our motivations. But a good soldier also fights for the faith. Even against those who would pervert it from within. Soldiers fight for the faith. And God commands soldiers fight for the faith. If we want to handle spiritual warfare well, we have to know when to fight. And God tells us here, if the faith is under attack, we must take up arms against it. So what uses can we get from this passage in Jude? Here's a, a few uses to take and what the church must do with this. If we genuinely are going uh, to, to be obedient to all that he has, uh, that he has commanded. If we're genuinely going to do that. Uh, first, the first use is there is a time to fight. An important note that he's not calling them to war he's calling them to a fight. we're, we're already in uh, we're already in the war. Now not every time is a time to fight, but there are sometimes times when we must not just contemplate, but where we must, Fight where we must put aside mere meditation and take up the mantle of war. The church militant is Christ's command. A church that is not waging war for the faith is a church that is in rebellion against the faith. But you have to understand a church that does this, a church that wages war for the faith, will look like a cult. In a world of Christian pacifists and pietists. And men, let me exhort you. This has been our failure in the church overall. You you must lead the way of fighting in your home and in the church. Our world and Christ's church and our Christian homes are full of debra's because of the idleness and timidity of our men. We have emasculated them. We have men who refuse or are even afraid to take up the sword. And the more they refuse to do that, the more they abdicate their responsibility, the more the monster grows in our world, in their homes, in our churches, and the greater the battle will be to kill it. And they will either end up with a greater fight or sadly a swifter defeat. But there is a time to fight. A time when Jude says, I wish I could just talk about how great the gospel is, but I can't. The Lord will not let me. It is a time to fight for the gospel, not just to meditate them into oblivion, but to fight them into submission. So you must fight. There's a time for fight. Uh, second, you must fight for the faith. You must fight for the faith. The call is that in in this war. This is the right course of action. I mean, this is, I mean, when we're thinking about like what we talked about, the one who enlisted us and all that, you have your general telling you when to fight. You have your king, your Lord and Savior telling you as his soldiers what to do. Here are your rules of engagement. What if rules, the Lord, the Lord lets the rules of engagement out here and he shows you see the faith under attack. What do you do? You attack, you fight. You don't have to sit and go, Oh, I see the faith under attack. What should I do, Lord? What should I do? What is your will, Lord? He has told you, oh man, what to do. When the faith is under attack, you fight for the faith. When the Christian faith is under attack, that is a time for Christians not just to defend the faith, but to destroy the enemy. To see the adversary that arose and not stop the attack until that foe is defeated. We take the blow and we absorb it because we are armored up. We have the armor of God, the shield of faith. We have those things, but then we go on the offensive and fight for the sake of the faith. That has been the message of salvation since the beginning. The enemies of the faith cannot just be ignored. The response from the church must be war. When it comes to the faith being attacked, the Christian has their commands and that's to fight. Now again, sometimes people say, no, no, we just, need to, we just need to love them. And sometimes in the war, love is the response that we must do, but any response that we take up is not just taken up blindly. Let's, let's take, for example, love. If love is the right course of action in what they are doing, if showing genuine love is the course of action when they're committing all these love feasts, as Jude talked about, or whatever, we don't just love like some form of Christian hippie that thinks that's just what we do. We don't love because we're pacifists We love because love is war. We would love because that is the action that we must take to defeat the enemy. We love because that is the action prescribed by our king and how to defeat the enemy. We don't just love because love is what we should do. We love because that is what the action of war would prescribe. But every action that we take must be an action that we take for the faith. It must be a way that we are fighting for the faith, not just ignoring, not just placating, but fighting and our fights, we see, must be intentional. Jude's fight example that we see here isn't intentional, and there are specific enemies here. When we're talking about fighting for the faith, we're not fighting against vague generalities. Fighting against vague generalities is easy. Oh, the things wrong with this world are, are this. And oh, this is, I mean, but that, that's easy to do. That's like, that's like pushing the button on the nuclear briefcase and sending an, an ICBM to a country that you can't even name. That's what it's like fighting sort of generalities, like, oh, those things are bad, and I'm going to fight against those things. That's not what Jude's describing here. Fighting for the faith, as he describes, uh, fighting for the faith, is, is, it's, it's bloody hand-to-hand combat. It is faces and people that we know. When Jude is writing here to these people, and he's talking about what they're doing, they know the people that Jude is calling them to go to war against. They know them. It's not just the whatever group. It is people in their church, possibly even leaders in their churches that they know. These, Like I said, these are faces and people. And we must fight for the faith by fighting against them, against specific enemies. We must be willing to fight, not just generalities, of how the faith is under attack. But specific ways within our homes, within our cities, within our churches. That we see the faith under attack. If that happens, our church, our men, our homes must be ready to fight for the faith. So what, what, what sort of, uh, of specifics do we see here? Look at these examples here. Uh, you, we must fight against bad practice. So uh, we're going to see you fight against bad practice. You fight against bad theology, bad practice. So it's something worth, worth fighting for. It's something that when faith is under attack and you see bad practice, that's something that you fight. So you have this, you had perversion of grace into sensuality, which was allowing these unnatural sex acts to be normalized or natural acts to be twisted and all under a banner of love, all under a celebration of love, what a shocking idea that anyone would do that. They had, he said they had these love feasts that I'm sure had a big banner that said love is love. Uh, they had these great love feasts uh, and they're like, hey, we should all be about love here. And they were actually perverting grace. So you had these bad practices that, that Judas is saying you've got to deal with those. But you also had people who were not doing that, but, but were doing the opposite of of love. They were grumblers and fault finders, which Jude says is just really the same, the the other side of the same coin. It's really just following your sinful desires. I want to be mad. Good, do it. Be mad. Okay, uh, that's the way God made you. How did God make you? God made me mean. Well. You know, God made you the way you are. Uh, you know, and so they were grumblers and fault finders. They're they're also following their sinful desires and allowing sinful desires uh, to to remain in the church under the guise of wanting to be gracious. But both of those examples, from, from fornication to fault finding, both of those are really again the same evil source. They're they're both types of actions uh, that shouldn't be. Uh, just noted or or lamented or go, man, it really stinks that they're doing that. really stinks that they're like that. Well, what can we do? Jude says that what the church must do is fight against those things and that the faith must be protected against things like that. If the church faces similar threats, if we face threats like this, we must be ready to fight against those. And I, I'm not just talking about the church in general, because I'm not the pastor of the church in general, uh, not yet. Uh, but uh, the, the as a funny Pope joke. Uh, but but I'm talking about our church. I mean, I, I I remember when I was growing up as a Christian. I remember. Times and, and, and sometimes, as I, was, as I was, again, growing up in the church, were, were bad practice that people would do? The church would just sort of shake, shake their head at it, but then say like, well, but, but what else can you do? we're, we're for example, he mentions grumblers and complainers, where mean people were just accepted as, well, they're just mean. They're just mean people. Where you had these grumblers like Jude warns about, and people were like, well, what can you do about that? Or well, you just got to love them. I'll tell you what the church should have done in those situations where where they, they, they they should have fought them. They should have fought for the faith. And every church that refused to do that bore the consequences. And I think about the churches that I grew up in and I go, what would have happened if the church would have fought against that instead of just accepting it? How did that affect my own spiritual growth? Having to see these things and be in a church where evil was allowed that foothold and everyone was told by the Lord they should fight against it, but no one did. Bad practice, bad living must be fought against. But so should bad theology. And of course, I wanted to start with bad theology, right? That's where I wanted to start. But that's not really where he starts. He starts with perversions of grace and then he gets into bad theology. Jude warned that these people should be fought against because they're rejecting uh, theological ideas like the masterhood and lordship of Christ. They rejected that Jesus should have control over how we live. Now, this threat has not gone away in the church. I know it's still rampant. Why? Because people outside the church do, do two things. One, they either mock this. They say the church is a bunch of hypocrites who think they can live in any way they want but still claim to be saved. So the outside world sees this going on. The outside world is looking at the church and will say things like, well, you're just full of a bunch of hypocrites because you guys, you guys aren't following the master and lordship of Christ. So they understand that the master and lordship of Christ is something that is real. They're saying, but you guys aren't doing that. So the outside world knows the church isn't doing this or the outside world will either mock us for this or they'll champion this idea. So the outside world will say, hey, I don't need to change my life. I have Jesus. Jesus. And he'll forgive me, right? I don't know how many times like at the abortion mill, as ladies were walking in to get abortion, say, hey, I killed the baby. Jesus, forgive me, right? Where have they heard that? Where'd that come from? From the church. But the idea that you can be a Christian and not be obedient to Christ is alive and well. And that's not shocking. It's just like it was in Jude's day. Those sorts of ideas must be fought against. The church must be prepared to defend against them in our own lives, and to fight against them should they attempt in any way to work their way into our church. That's what the church must be That's What The church is commanded by the one who enlisted them to do. So whether the issues are theology or practice, they are matters of the faith. You can't look at something and go, well, is that really an issue of the faith? Is that really a faith issue? If we follow Jude's example, we say they are. And if they are, then they can't just be ignored. And they certainly can't be accepted, which just shows just how far the church has gone to the other side of how they should respond to this. The people are doing this, and instead of saying, we've got to fight that idea, people are going, well, let's accept it. And then if we accept it and they're in here long enough, maybe eventually they'll get to our side. And, and, and then in the end you notice, no, 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 wait, what's happening is the church is getting on their side because you've let evil in and haven't obeyed the Lord. And the Lord is doing to you what he did to Judah and Israel and everyone else who had the commands of the Lord and didn't obey them. He is destroying them. These things shouldn't be ignored. They shouldn't be accepted. They should be fought against. Another use we see is that the dangers to the faith can come from both outside and inside. And that's what's interesting here. The, those on the outside, I mean, they attack the faith openly, which has its own dangers. But here in Jude, what he's talking about is attacks against the faith that weren't coming from like a group of Muslims trying to invade the church. And he's like, you got to defend the faith, you know, be a crusader. He's not talking about that. He's calling them to be crusaders, but against an attack that's going to come from within the church. And this is perhaps more insidious and dangerous. This perversion of the faith. And this, this too, especially maybe this form of attack, is one that must be met head on and must be fought against. In our world, our battles are not all that different from Jude's. There are people in the church who want to say, shouldn't these unnatural sexual perversions or rampant fornication, shouldn't they just be accepted because, you know, grace? Well, that's the exact same thing that was happening in Jude's day. It came inside the church then. It came from inside the church then, and it will and does today. We may not be worse than them, but we're not better either. There are people in the church who will say, hey, you can be saved and Jesus not be your Lord. The idea, oh, you can be saved and then just live whatever life you want to. And in the end, you're going to meet Jesus and he's going to say, oh, you know, forgiven. That that same exact denial of the masterhood uh, and lordship of Jesus is is what we see. The same thing Jude dealt with, not new. The idea that people would say, I can live any way I want to. And in the end, God's going to forgive me, right? That's what they were saying in Jude's day. These, though, were coming from inside Christ's church. Sometimes what happens is sometimes we can become so fixated on how the world out there is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not sure that it is, but that's another subject. That it distracts us from the nothing new under the sun nature of the battle to protect Christ's church from the dangers on the inside. We're so busy looking on the outside and thinking that's where the threat to the faith is going to come from that we ignore the very threat to the faith that the Bible warned us about. It doesn't say, hey, be careful. The gates of hell are coming. It does say, be careful. Because this is what's going on inside the church to the point that I can't even write to you about how great your salvation is because I need need you to pay attention, wake up and fight what's going on in your church. When I think about just, just in... I've, I've only been pastoring for 15 years. And just, in, just in my 15 years of pastoring this church, without a doubt, most of the dangers and destruction that our church has faced have come from inside the church, not outside. Not from persecutions from the outside. We must fight for the faith with the expectation that some of the fighting may come from within the fellowship itself. At least prepared if that happens. We can't look at within the fellowship and say, no, 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 no. Glo- no uh, gloves on all the time here. We, that's, that, that's untouchable. Just, just soak us out there. But this, don't ever worry about inside. We cannot do that. Now, there's nothing, nothing that, that right now I'm like, hey, this is what we need to fight. And this is what's going on. But It's something we need to be aware of. And the more firmly fixed on God's Word we are as a church, the less likely that that will happen. The more firmly fixed we are on the Word of God as our guide, the less likely that anything like that will be able to get a foothold. But if you let up just a bit, if you leave an opening in the church for an evil one based on your ideas rather than the commands of God, then the evil one will take it. At that time, it is the response of the church to stomp it out. Next, another use. If we're going to fight and not fail in this fight, because there are churches that fight all the time, and they fight using their own swords, their own made-up ways. But if we're going to fight and not fail, our standard must be God's word. These people, like we said, these people relied on dreams. They relied even on animal instincts, he says. And the church was to defend against that attack on the word. And, and God is using his word to call them to attack. This is why the word of God is so essential. They must defend against that attack on the word. And God uses his word to call them to attack. When they got away from the word, they got away from the faith that had been delivered to us all. Why? Because they got away from the word. They started relying on dreams. They started listening to people who said, I had this dream. And you know, you can't argue against a dream. Tell me I didn't have it. Tell me. Tell me I didn't have a dream. But if you go and you say, your idea is crazy. We don't care that you had a dream. We know what the word of God says. Why would we listen to your dreams? Oh, dreamer of dreams. If you if you're Fixed on the word of God, those things don't happen. But if you get away from the word, just like they got away from the word, they got away from the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And if the church was going to combat that, if the church that Jude's writing to was going to combat it, then the church needed the word to guide their fighting. This is why being being tied to the word of God is so essential. Because if you're tied to the word of God, you're not going to let the enemy get a foothold. And if the enemy happens to, then you're going to need the word of God to guide you in how to fight so that you'll know, is this the faith under attack? How do I need to attack? What does an attack look like? What does, what does fighting look like in this? You're going to need the word of God to guide you. The word of God must be both the standard that we defend and the manual that guides our actions. It must be both our standard and our manual. We fight for the faith of the word And we fight for the faith with the Word. If we lose either of those two things, we lose the battle. If we let the Word of God be trampled and replaced or ignored, we lose the battle. If we don't use the Word of God in our fighting, dictating how we fight, we lose the battle. If we don't let the Word of God show us, hey, that's a battle, we lose. If we don't let the word of God show say, hey, that battle, this is how you fight it, we lose. In fighting, if, if the church is going to fight for the faith, the church must be fixed on the word of God, on the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And that leads us to our last thing. You must cherish the faith if you are going to fight for the faith. Jude wanted to write to them about their common salvation. But instead, he had to get them to fight this common enemy. In the fight for the faith, we cannot fall into simply contemplating our salvation. We must fight for our faith. But you will not fight for a faith that you do not love. Just because there are times to fight does not mean that there are not also times to meditate on the realities of our faith. Now, how can I say that? You just said that. You just said that Jude couldn't do that, that he had to write about about this war. But it wasn't wrong for Jude to want to write a letter about how great their salvation was. It just wasn't the time. It's not like I wanted to write a letter to you about uh, how great our common salvation is, but God was like, how dare you? He's like, but this is what I was compelled by the Lord to write. A cherished faith is one that you will fight for. Cherish Christ and you will fight for His faith. You will fight for His gospel. You will fight for His salvation. You will not let His grace be perverted. You will not let His masterhood and lordship be denied. So Christian, don't just fight to please the one who enlisted you. Be pleased with the one who enlisted you and you will fight for his faith. Let's pray. We see here from the Lord a a call to arms for the church. That when the faith is under attack, sometimes by not such obvious means, but from inside even, from subtle attacks on What is love? Not denying love, but perverting it. What is grace? Not denying grace, but perverting it. When those sorts of things happen, the church must be ready to take up arms for the faith. Are you ready to take up arms against evil? Do you realize that there are times that you must fight? And are you prepared to fight? To be prepared to fight, you must be fixed on the word of God. You must be fixed on the word of God, on the faith once for all delivered to the saints in your own life. You must be fixed on it to such a degree that even in the midst of war you will remember it. So that in that harried response when everything is going on and all the emotions are at play, that you are are just naturally tied to God's word. You've got to prepare for it now. You've got to fix yourselves to the word of God now. And not just think that, oh, when the battle comes, oh, then, then I'm going to go to the Bible. Then I'm going to go. If you're, if, you're, if you're not meditating on the faith with, when the battle's not taking place, don't think that you're going to turn and defend that faith when the battle does come. Christian, cherish the faith that has been delivered to us. Cherish our common salvation, a thing that unites us as a body. Cherish it as you cherish Christ. Because only when you cherish it will you be willing to defend it. Only when you cherish it will you be willing to die for it. Will you be willing to, to lay down your life or, or, or your friendships or your comfort or whatever to fight for that faith? Church, we've been commanded. There are times that we've got to fight and we've got to be ready for that. We've got to be ready and willing to do exactly what you'd had to write to this church to do. Be willing to fight for the faith. If we're going to do well in spiritual warfare, that's what we've got to be willing to fight, the fights that come our way. That's true in our individual lives. It's true in our church's life. You've got to be ready to fight against the evil. When he tries to pervert the grace of God in your own perceptions of salvation, you need to fight it. He tries to get you to deny the lordship or the lordship or masterhood of Christ, you've got to deny it. You've got to fight it. In your home, in your church, whatever it is, we've got to fight. Fight for the faith. Ask the Lord right now. Say, Lord, help me to see that fighting is what you've called us to do. And help me to see the fights that I need to take up. Because sometimes, Lord, I either don't fight or I fight at the wrong time. I'm willing to start fights where there shouldn't be a fight. Or I see the fight and I ignore it. Pray that the Lord would give you wisdom. Pray that the Lord would, would, would give you uh, discernment and the ability to know, this, this is what I am called to fight for. And pray that the, the Lord would give us unity in these fights. I mean, we don't, like if something does come into our church, we don't need just one or two of us stamping out evil. We need a church that is united, that that when evil tries to enter our church, all they hear is the clang of of steel as the sword of the Lord is being pulled from all of our scabbards. That's what it needs to hear. Not just to tinkle here or there or there. It needs to ring. Ask the Lord to to give us that strength, to give us that resolve. Ask him to, to, to plant us that firmly on his word. Father, we come to you today because we know, Lord, you, you have given us this. You're the one who, who I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine. I wish I could, could see what Jude's letter would have been. And there are times that I wish that, that that's what we had, and we could just sit and 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 read it and, and see this is what would what would this letter have looked like if it was just a letter about how great our common salvation, something he was so eager to do, and I, I can't imagine him sitting down, just excited to do that, and you stopped him and said, so That's not what they need to hear. This is what they need to hear. They don't need to meditate, they need to fight, they don't need to just contemplate. They need to go to war. And so, Father, I am thankful for these words. I know these are better for us than if we had that other letter. That this is what your church, this is what all your saints needed. Just like they needed the rest of your word that was once for all delivered to us, this is what we needed. And it is so funny, God, that this is once for all true of us. We're looking at the perversions that they're doing, uh, unnatural acts, and a church that is filled with grumblers and complainers. or whatever, like we go, That's what the church still struggles with, and that's what our society is doing. And, and we look at that and we go, we are just like that church. Why? Because, because this, this is what your church needs. This is what your church needs to hear. These are common temptations. These are common attacks from the evil one. And we need to know how to deal with them. And we need to know, Father, that we must deal with them. So thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you, Father, that even in that first part of it, where where, where Jude said, I wanted to write about your your common salvation, that that spurred our heart to say, I want to hear that. Why? Because I love Christ and I want to hear more about how great he is. Well, guess what? That love that you give us for Christ that wanted more is exactly the love that you'll use to defend the faith. It's exactly the love that we need to have to to, to defend the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So Father, help us to cherish Christ more. Because if we cherish Him, then we will fight for Him. We will fight for His gospel. We will fight for His salvation. We will fight for the faith. So Father, please work that in us. As you've done in your church. Since the beginning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.